morning, Ridgepoint Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. It is good to see you. There are a lot of us here this morning. We're excited about a new series we're kicking off today, a series we're calling The Same Power. We're going to get into all that in just a second, but I just want to share. I know I've had a lot of questions this morning, and so we want to share just kind of where we're at in our journey right now. For most of you, if you've been here at Ridgepoint Church for the last couple of weeks or the last couple of months, you know my wife and I have been in the process of adopting a, a baby boy named Zach, and he's in the NICU right now. He's going to be there for probably another month. I know it's, it's, it's kind of some, some history and, and what's going on. He has... Uh, because of some past history with his birth mom, uh, he has to be there for a little bit, probably about a month and a half. But the great thing is we're seeing those scores come down, and as the scores come down, we'll start to be able to wean him off the medication. Uh, so we're excited about it. This is actually, yeah, you got a chance to, to, to meet Zach there a little bit. Uh, he has his great moments. Yesterday was a great day. He's had a number of great days. And so I just want to share, because I've had a lot of questions coming in this morning. This is kind of where we're at. It's probably still going to be another month that he's there. Uh, but he is adorable. He's really healthy. He just has some things he's working through. He's really healthy, and so we're just asking you to join with us in praying over the next couple weeks. Yesterday, the doctor came in and said his score's been down for three days in a row. If he has one more good day, we're going to start weaning him off the medication, and that's happened twice, and the next day, his scores went way up, and he had a really bad day, and actually had to increase his meds. So we're just asking you to, to join with us praying for Zach. Uh, he's awesome. Uh, he just has such great personality when he gets a chance to really meet him and, and uh, when he's not on the medication. So just, if you would, join with us in praying over the next couple weeks. Uh, that Zach was continue to get healthy. We'll see him home very soon. Uh, pray for us. We're traveling over to All Children's in St. Pete. My wife is there now. So just pray for us on that journey. It's been awesome. It's been rewarding. I had a chance to share with Tara on the way in uh, how I always valued nurses, but even more so now. And I know we have a lot of nurses that come to Ridgepoint. I'm not just trying to boost you guys up, but to, to see the way the nurses have cared for him and loved on him and given us everything we need has been phenomenal. So if you're a nurse, uh, kudos to you. We're, we're just, just so thankful for the role that you guys play. Anyway, so that's Zach. Uh, today we kick off this series called The Same Power. And, and here's we kick off this series. I think, I think it's true that everyone loves an underdog. Like, if you're following sports at all, if you like sports at all, everyone loves an underdog. Uh, we just finished up wrapping up the NCAA men's basketball tournament. And, and what happens every year we have one of those tournaments is there's always one or two teams they call the Cinderella teams. They start winning, and everyone starts rooting for them. We want to see the, the underdog win. And I think that's why a lot of times the only people not rooting for the underdog are the, the hardcore fans of the team that's favored. If you're a big fan of one of those big teams, I think this is one of the reasons why if you're not a Yankees fan, you hate the Yankees. Like, like there's, there's no middle ground. It's like, it's like everyone, either you're a Yankees fan and you're a diehard Yankees fan and you love the Yankees or I hate the Yankees because they always win and they're always good and they have all the money. And, and so people love rooting for the underdog. And so we see a team start to do well in some sort of sport, maybe it's NCAA basketball tournament, and they start to do well. And maybe they're competing against a, a Duke and there's like, there's no way in the world that they're going to win. And the game goes on. And you start to see these guys who may be coming into the game and thinking, man, it's Duke, they're powerful and they're mighty and there's no way we can beat them. And as the game goes on and the score is close, they start to have a confidence. They start to have a power about them and the way they carry themselves. And they start to believe that this thing is possible, that they could actually win this game. And then when they win, there's a celebration, there's an eruption, and everyone in, in our country is kind of sucked in by their story. We want to know all about them because everyone loves an underdog. I got a chance to experience this firsthand. I, I had a chance right when my wife and I were first married. I, I worked outside of a of a housing project, and we ran a community center, a Christian community center. And, and a lot of what we did was we helped out with families with, with food and clothing and helping them out with their basic needs. 
training them. We had nursing classes for, for some of the people who would be in the community. We had computer classes. But then a lot of our responsibility centered on, on this idea that we had kids in that community. We really wanted to give them a better chance. And so we offered after-school tutoring and sports and recreational type activities. And especially over the summer, we ramped up those recreational activities. And we were kind of a smaller community center right outside of, of Rainbow Village in Largo, the small housing project. And, and we were a smaller rec center. We didn't have a whole lot. We had a half-court basketball goal that was kind of raggedy and, and kind of falling apart. We got out there and played basketball. And we had a small field out back that was kind of uh, just kind of overgrown with weeds. We got out there and played football. But we didn't have a whole lot. And our community was a little bit smaller. But about a mile and a half away from us, there was a huge publicly funded community center that had a big indoor gym. And they had this huge, nice football field that the sports teams would use during the week for their practices. And we got into a deal with them where we started to compete against the Omni Center on a routine basis every summer. We compete with them playing sports, playing football, playing basketball. And the thing is, they were in a bigger area that had a lot more funding and they had a lot more stuff there. And so routinely, uh, they would get the best athletes going there. In fact, one of the guys that we played football against is now returning kickoffs in the NFL. Uh, just really talented guy and a talented team. And then they also got some of the biggest guys. Like, I don't even know where they grew these guys from. We're out there playing basketball, and I got all my guys that are like fourth and fifth graders, and we're playing some middle schoolers, and they had a middle school, I think he was in seventh grade, and he was about six foot two. And so he shows up, and he has these long arms, and I'm looking, we're playing basketball against these guys, and I'm like, my whole team couldn't beat that guy right there. Like, <laughs> we have no shot. And, and we went out there, and the first year we got beat pretty soundly, like I think every game we lost to them. But the second year, the team started to believe in themselves, and they started to have the courage and, and I think the turning point was that this kid, he's really athletic, but he's kind of shorter. He's really athletic. His name was Bryant. And Bryant came down one time, and, and the other guy's name was Antoine, the big tall guy. And Antoine jumped out to block his shot. And he's like six foot two, but he had arms that were about seven feet long. So like, it was like 13 feet in the air. He's got to shoot over this. And, and Bryant just shoots as high as he could. And, and I think the ball just about hit the top of the ceiling coming down. And he got it over his hand. It came down, and it was a three-pointer. It went in. And all of a sudden, he saw like the, the demeanor of our team change. And he started to believe that, hey, we can actually do this. Like, there's a chance we can, we can win this game. And there's a chance we could. And, and, and that's why I think for a lot of us, when we start to see that underdog, we start to root for the underdog because there's something that feels good about seeing the underdog win. Well, this whole series is about how God uses people just like us. People in the world might look at us and say, well, you're a bunch of underdogs. You're a bunch of, there's no way in the world you can accomplish some of the things that God calls us to accomplish. And God starts to use people just like us to make a huge impact on the world around us. And so we're going to get into that. But before I do that, we got a special guest this morning. Uh, back when I was in college, I'd only been going to the church really for about a year and a half. I gave my life to Christ. And I didn't really know a whole lot about church. I didn't know a whole lot about uh, kind of what was, how everything worked. And I started going to Christian college. And the first guy I met at that Christian college was a guy by the name of Tim Collins. And uh, we just kind of hit it off, and it was so crazy. We just became good friends. We talk a whole lot. We talk probably too much during class. Uh, but he's, he started to teach me so much about theology and so much about church life. And I was, I was such a newbie to this whole thing. And I'm like, man, it was so good to have a friend like that uh, that I was overjoyed a couple of years ago when he invited me to come on staff here. Uh, for those who haven't been around for a while, Tim was our former pastor. He's now on staff with Trash Mountain Project. So please welcome to the stage Tim Collins. Man. What's up, buddy? What's up, buddy? How you doing? Good. How are you? Good, good. Yeah, have a seat there. I'll move over. I brought that for you. Thank you. Awesome. So, anyway, how's it feel to be back? 
Good. Good. It feels good. It's, uh, you know, this will always be home 39 years in Polk County. And it's kind of interesting, though, because for, for, for those of you who don't know, we moved to Topeka out in Kansas. And uh, it's very similar to the way it is here. The people are very similar. Uh, less traffic. Mm-hmm. Uh, not enjoying the traffic. You don't, you don't think about it until you go somewhere where the roads are actually built to handle the number of people that are driving on them. You ever, you ever experienced that? It's a little different, but uh, it's good. Uh, we love, we miss the people. We miss our friends and our family. Definitely. So. A little bit colder. It was a little colder. <laughs> Got down to negative 20 a few times. Negative 20. We're not getting any negative 20 degree weather here. You know, it's funny though. The people, the, the Topekans were complaining a lot more than we were. And people would look at us and say, how are you doing this? Are you okay? And we're like, well, we knew it was cold here. We, it's not a news flash. <laughs> it's colder everywhere that's not Florida. So you buy some long johns and hunker there down. Go. There you go. So talk a little bit. I know your role at, at Trash Mount Project, your discipleship mm. director. What exactly does it mean? What does that look like day to day? What are you doing there? Boy, I wish I knew. <laughs> <laughs> uh, part of what, we're, what we've been doing for the last uh, year, April 1st was a year that I've been on staff with Trash Mountain, and just trying to define what that role is, and, and this is what Brett and I, Brett's our executive director, what he and I keep coming back to is um, this is a role that, that, as far as we know, doesn't exist in any organization, any ministry organization, missions organization. So we're trying to map that out. But more or less, I do kind of have two responsibilities. Uh, number one, I work with our uh, pastors. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the Trash Mountain model, but in each trash dump community that we work in, there is a local pastor that everything flows through. And so my job, uh, you know, Trash Mountain goes into these areas where a pastor might have a, literally a church of 25 people and Trash Mountain begins to partner with him, and we build uh, elementary school, high school, uh, feeding kitchen, uh, trade school for adults. Um, We're starting to get into aquaponics, which is uh, long-term sustenance for the adults there, Uh, elderly care, just all these things and all these programs, and my role as I go in is to just help him be a better pastor. You know, we have other people who are focusing on the other things, but I want to help him be a better pastor and be a better leader for what we know is coming to kind of raise his leadership lid and also just to get him the resources that he needs to, to um, you know, pastor well. I, my heart has never left the local church. My heart, well, my heart's here at Ridgepoint, but my heart's with every local church. I want to see churches win, and I know how hard it is to be a pastor. This, this is the hardest job in America, I, hands down. It is. Um, you know, Rick Warren said years ago that if, if they asked him to be the president of the United States, he would be taking a step down. Well, obviously, but <laughs> the point of it is it is a hard and it's an important role. And so it's just, it's, you know, it's mm-hmm. so here or there or wherever, that's my job. The second half of my job is to work with our staff. Um, we get a lot of, as you can imagine, spiritual opposition. So I kind of help pastor those staff make sure they're doing okay, counsel them if they need it, and so that's kind of... I know one of the things that we talked about even when you're going to leave is, is you also are looking to do some uh, working with, with pastors stateside that might mm-hmm. be looking to do some, in, some international mission trips, even sometimes at a smaller church where they say, there's no way in the world we could do something like that, right. uh, but you've had that experience. So have you had a chance to do some of that yet? Or? I have. I have. I've gotten to know several of the pastors there in the Topeka area. We partner with about 20 churches in Topeka, 
Uh, there's some churches in Salina and a church down in Wichita. And so I've gone to some of those churches. And they, there is an attitude that says, well, we're so small. We don't know where to begin. We don't know how to do this. And I tell them, first of all, Trash Mountain trips, are the way they're ran, are just amazing. And that's what we've seen from the very beginning, that you literally, it's turnkey. You just show up and do what they tell you to do. And it's just amazing the way it's all organized. But I say, you know, Ridgepoint... You may not realize that this is actually not a small church. You, wouldn't, you, you might think that it is when you compare it to a huge church, but this is actually bigger than the average-sized church. But, uh, you know, we built nine houses mm-hmm. over the course of like two, two and a half years here in, you know, eight in Honduras and one in the DR. It can be done. You, you'd be surprised. I'll just give you this. There's a pastor there in Topeka who pastors about maybe 75 people. And they wanted to take up a Christmas offering. You guys who were here when I was here, you remember we did Christmas offerings and Easter offerings. So I helped them through that. And they set a goal, I think, of like $3,500 or $4,000 or something like that. So I helped them through how do you plan for this? How do you announce it? How do you promote it? How do you get your people on board? They wanted to build a house in the Philippines. $7,200. Wow. That's what they collected. And I kept telling them the whole time, your church is going to surprise you. People... I think we have this belief in America that people aren't generous and people aren't committed to the church. And so our tendency is to say people aren't generous and people aren't committed. No, we just haven't figured out how to capture their commitment. Mm. And we haven't figured out how to capture their generosity. So that's our role as leaders. That's, you know, what we get paid the big bucks mm-hmm. to do. Definitely. Figure it out. <laughs> there you go. It's been about a year that you've been a staff there. Yeah. Uh, and that's crazy to think about. It like is the last crazy. year has flown by. Yes. Uh, what do you think for you has been the biggest takeaway in your life this past year? You know, um, I was actually talking with my cousin, Tony, who goes to church here. He and I were together yesterday. And uh, we were talking about this idea of being uncomfortable because years ago I did, I preached a sermon series here called Uncomfortable. I don't know if you remember, some of you remember, we had a rocking chair and we, I chainsawed it in half and this whole thing. And we talked about how God hasn't call, isn't calling us to be comfortable. That's not the goal of Christianity is for us to be comfortable, not at all. But differentiating that, he and I had this conversation yesterday. At the same time, people say, how do you like it? And, and especially in Kansas, people say, wait, you moved here from Florida? Why would you do that? <laughs> don't you want to go back? And we're like, no, we don't want to go back at all because we're at peace. We're at peace because we know we are where God called us to be for this time and for this season. We are in the center of God's will, and there's a peace that you find when you're at the center of God's will, no matter where that leads you. So I think for us, the difference is being comfortable versus being at peace. We're not comfortable. We're off balance. Mm-hmm. But part of following Christ is being off balance. I was having this conversation um, Thursday with a guy who's, oh, you're the director of discipleship. Can you define discipleship for me? I can give it a shot. Mm-hmm. Number one, what's Jesus asking you to do? And number two, how have you answered? I think that's kind of the whole thing. God's going to continually call you to do things that are going to make you uncomfortable, and you just got to reach down and grab a big handful of faith and do it. Mm-hmm. And be scared. You know, John Wayne said, courage is being scared but saddling up anyway. Wow. You just do. <laughs> Any John Wayne fans in the house? <laughs> Represent, right? You've got to do it. So it's that idea of being comfortable versus finding peace. You can be uncomfortable, but you can also be at peace just because you know you are where God has called you to be. Mm. Definitely. Well, part of what we're interviewing you about tonight, which we'll get to in a second, we're also mm-hmm. interviewing you as part of this series, The Same Power. 
And, and the idea, and, and I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but there's, there's a verse in Romans chapter 8 where it talks about that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of us. Amen. And, and, and you know, for Woo. a lot of us, we, we get so scared and we get so like, well, God's called me to do big things, but I don't know if I can do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trash Mountain has had a, a whole slew of stories where they yeah. stepped out and, and they were scared and they were afraid. They didn't know what it was going to look like. Now, I know tonight we're going to hear a lot of the stories. I don't want to take mm-hmm. away any of the thunder. But maybe something you've encountered yourself or maybe something you heard about that's not going to get shared tonight. But where you experienced that, that knowing that, man, that was the power of God in our life. Yeah, I think part of it, just tracking back to something you said, that God calls you to do big things. And this is not just a me thing or a JJ thing. This is all of us. God is calling us to do big things right now. And you go, well, I can't do it. No, you can't. That's the whole point. So you better not try to do it by yourself. But if you'll, you know, kind of lock arms with Jesus, it's going to be a crazy ride. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, One of the stories that Brett will share at the end tonight, because some of you are aware of this, this kind of went out on our um, prayer list. Uh, Back in January, I took a group of American pastors to the Philippines, and we put on the first ever for Trash Mountain uh, leadership conference. We called it Equip. In In fact, we called it Equip Manila. And uh, we had, I don't know, maybe 100 people there, and it was a room not as big as this. It was just a blast. American pastors loved it. The Filipino just people just ate it up. Uh, it, was a, it was a good time. While we were there, I took the American pastors, and we went to each of our, in, in Manila, we have four partner sites that we're working in, and one of them is called Smoky Mountain. Um, and so we, I took them to each of the four sites, and it just breaks your heart. I'm, I'm telling you, if you've never stood in a trash dump community, you should. And then come back here and complain because of whatever. Traffic or your cell phone won't get a signal or, you know, whatever you want to complain about because we're just stupid. We are. Yeah. So I take them to this thing. We go into uh, Smoky Mountain and we're walking around. And when we got there, there's a guy named Thomas Tam who is our kind of our liaison there on the ground. And he grabbed me when we got there and he said, hey, there's a little boy named Dennis and I want to know if you guys will pray for him. And I'm like, we would be honored to pray for Dennis. So he take, they take us to his house. Literally, you know, it, it's doors maybe this high, so you have to duck to go in. There are six of us, and, well, six of them plus me plus Brett. I mean, we're big guys. We are. And so that we wouldn't even all fit into the little room. Dennis was, I want to say he's around 10. If, I, if that's not right, I'm not far off. Uh, got encephalitis. And they had no medicine. They had no way to go to the doctor. And so it had progressed so far that at this point he was laying on a filthy mattress, having spasms, wearing a diaper because he couldn't control himself. His mom's just sitting over him crying because she doesn't know what to do. She doesn't have any money. So we prayed for him. And this, was the, this is what I love about Trash Mountain. We prayed that God would heal that little boy. You know why? Because that's what we're supposed to pray. Right? Vote on it and get back. <laughs> right? I mean, shouldn't we pray, God, heal this little kid? I mean, you have that power. We don't, but you do. And we pull his mom out and we go, tell us how much it costs for him to go to the doctor and for you to get the medicine that you need. So we prayed for him and we gave him the money. They, we had been told, they had been told that he would not recover. He was not going to recover. He's too far gone. And it's encephalitis. Come on, we could do something about this. Well, we got an email a couple weeks ago that Dennis is up walking around, going to church. Wow. Yeah. Is that a miracle? I don't know. 
Was it the prayer or the medicine? I, who cares? He's up walking around. We should be able to see more things like that. Mm-hmm. And actually, what we're going to talk about tonight, um, it, it's going to be a blast. If you can come, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we did it last uh, Sunday in Topeka, but we also have a Florida contingent, so we wanted to come down here and have the event here as well. Um, Brett's going to talk about some of those miracles and, and some of the God coincidences, if you will. And then I'm going to come up and kind of balance that out theologically. How do you explain all this? What does this look like? Does God still perform miracles? Are there such a thing as coincidences? So, um, Definitely. So let's talk a little bit about tonight because we, yeah. we have the book. Uh, for those who aren't aware, Brett Durbin co-authored a book to kind of tell some of those stories from early mm-hmm. on Trash Mountain Project and just the journey. It's been on five years now. Mm-hmm. They've been working together. I remember they came here one of the first churches we, we were one of the first churches they partnered with, yeah. uh, going on one of those trips, and just to see the journey they've been on. Uh, so tonight they're kind of doing the book release here, there's a CD release as well, yeah. uh, and then sharing a lot of these stories. So tell us a little bit of what to expect tonight, because I know we've been announcing it, but some people are on the fence about whether or not to come, the Masters is on, but Tiger Woods isn't playing anyway, so who's really going to watch that anyway? So tell Hey, us listen, that. I'm a Masters fan, I'm suffering with you, uh, but that's why God allowed us to invent DVR. Mm. So DVR it, don't check your phone, go home and watch it. That's what I'm going to do. Uh, it's 4 o'clock. It's going to be probably an hour and 15 minutes, maybe a little longer. Um, it's going to be kind of a, a, a mixture. It, it, it's just going to be a fun time. Brett's going to get up and tell just, just a couple of the stories that are in the book. And the book is basically the story of Trash Mountain Project the first five years. So Brett wrote it actually with my pastor in Topeka, Jim Congdon. And Jim Congdon, he has dropped more out of his Bible than I know. Okay, this guy's just brilliant. And he was not able to be here because he's in Topeka preaching. Uh, so I'm kind of pinch hitting for him in this thing tonight. What I, the part I'm going to share is kind of what he shared last week. Uh, so Bill Horn, the Bill Horn band are going to be here. Uh, Brett and Bill were on staff together at First Baptist at the mall in Lakeland. Bill was their worship pastor or one of their worship pastors. And there's, this band is amazing. Like, they are well worth the price of admission because, you know, it's free to come. Uh, Bill, it's, it's, it's worth coming just to hear the band. So it'll be kind of some music mixed in with a little bit of speaking, and then we're going to have some books for sale. Bill, his, he has this original music that he's written that's just phenomenal. And so he's coming out with a CD, and all proceeds from the CD and the book go into our nu- nutrition program for the Philippines, which basically you're helping feed kids in the Philippines. So uh, it's going to be a really good time. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Cool. We do so, have childcare. Definitely. And if, if you're interested in coming, I know we've been announcing you can get tickets online. We actually have some tickets available back in the back. So if you've still been, been on the fence, do you want to come be here tonight? Uh, again, on your way out, grab some of those tickets. Tim, thank you so much thank for joining you, us. Thank you, buddy. Love definitely. you. Love you too. But, but here's the thing, as I was talking to Tim, and Tim and I are, are longtime friends, and, and we'd gone to college together. And for me, when I first started going to, to church, I, I was a relatively new believer, and, and I gave my life to Christ. I started getting involved in church. And, and, and as soon as I started getting involved in church, uh, I started to get into a good group of, of friends. And, and I started to have that accountability and that community that I was longing for in my life. And, and as I did that, I, I went away to college for a little bit, and I started to feel God called me into ministry. And still, church was all really new to me. Like, I didn't know a whole lot about church. I didn't know how the whole thing worked. And, and I went to one church in St. Pete. I was there for just a couple of months, and I moved up to Gainesville. And I was trying to find a church up there, and I didn't even know how to find a church. And, and then right in the midst of that, God started working on my heart in, in, just, in just a unique way, in, in a very, very real way. And I started to feel called to ministry. 
And I thought, man, this is, this is crazy. I don't even know what ministry looks like. I said, but God, if this is really what you want, I want to make sure this is from you. And it took me months of going through a process in my life until I got to that point. And when I started realizing, man, God has called me into ministry, I said, okay, I need to find some people who can teach me how to, how to do things. And so I moved down. I go to a Christian college in Clearwater. And the first person I meet at that college is, is Tim Collins. And we just become good friends. And he starts to show me some things uh, about ministry and about life and theology. And I'm like, man, that's so powerful for us as, as we're trying to grow in, in our Christian walk to have those people. And, and then I started to feel called to ministry, and I started to follow that calling. And then I started to, to, to be on, church at, uh, on staff at a church, and I started to meet pastors and meet missionaries. And, and here's the thing, because we hear stories like some stories Tim told this morning, and we see, man, we have a missions team going out this summer to the Dominican Republic. And I think for a lot of us sitting in chairs right now, we're sitting here saying, well, that's good for them. Like, like they must have some deep connection with God that I haven't experienced yet, because I don't think I could ever do that. And I see, you, you might see pastors, you might see people in, in missions fields, or you might even see some of our, our own Ridge Point people that are in, in Dominican Republic right now that are living there. And you think, man, they must have some wavelength with God that I haven't experienced. But Romans 8 says the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of us. That we have that same power. And it's not just for those people who are really spiritual, because I've hung out with those pastors and I've hung out with those missionaries. And listen, behind the scenes, they might be up here on the stage with microphones and, and at churches all over our country, but behind the scenes, they're saying, listen, we're just as broken. We're just as, as in awe of the fact that God would use us because there's nothing special about us. The power that we have is not in and of ourselves. The power we have is entirely God's power. And that same power right now is inside of you. And so if you're sitting here, maybe right now you're struggling with some sort of, of, of temptation in your life, you're struggling with some sort of problem in your life, and you look at that and you say, there's no way in the world I could defeat this. There's no way in the world I could get past this hurdle in my life. God's saying, listen, if you think that, you're misunderstanding what this verse is saying, because he's saying the same spirit, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, which was a unique thing, a powerful thing, that same spirit now resides inside of you. And so this series is going to be about tapping into that power, realizing, man, it's not about us. It's not about the strength that we have because for all of us, we are weak, we're inept, we can't do it on our own. But God's Spirit lives inside of us and He empowers us and He enables us. And in fact, the story we're going to look at today is a story about Jesus using people just like us to make a difference. Using people just like us to stir up a city about the message that He was bringing. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 21. We're going to get into this this morning. Matthew chapter 21. We're going to pick up in, in the first verse of Matthew 21. Uh, traditionally around, around our country right now, today churches are celebrating Palm Sunday. And for some churches, they make a big deal about it. They have palm branches and all that. Others choose not to do it that way. Either way is fine. But churches throughout the country celebrate Palm Sunday, which is traditionally the week, the Sunday before Easter. And, and the idea of, of, of Palm Sunday, it's celebrating the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Now, the disciples didn't know this at the time, but, but obviously we know now. It was the week before Jesus is getting killed. He's having this triumphal entry. And what has happened in Jerusalem is that the people are gathering in Jerusalem. They're gathering for the Passover. And so Jesus is coming, and I want us to see this because the early disciples are, are used to, man, we're walking with Jesus, and it seems like every day there's a new adventure. 
It seems like every day. Now, in hindsight, we know that in, in a week Jesus is going to die and he's going to be resurrected. But the disciples didn't know that. They're just thinking we're on another journey. There's going to be another adventure. And so with that as a backdrop, Matthew chapter 21, they're, they're about to head into Jerusalem. It's about, they're about to have the triumphal entry, though the disciples don't know that, that yet. And it says in Matthew 21, verse 1, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives. Uh, by the way, there's prophecy in the Old Testament. There's over 350 prophecies regarding Jesus. Uh, one of the prophecies is that he's going to come from the Mount of Olives. So Jesus is here. Uh, he, he, he draws near to Jerusalem. He comes to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives. Then it says, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, and in verse 5, we actually read a prophecy that happened over in Zechariah chapter 9. In Zechariah chapter 9, there's a prophecy, again, one of those 350 prophecies about Jesus, about how Jesus was going to enter at this moment. And it says in Zechariah chapter 9, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So there's this prophecy in the Old Testament re regarding Jesus, and it says that at this moment he's going to come riding on a donkey. Now, Jesus fulfilling all of these prophecies, and it's, it, it's crazy to see as he fulfills all of these different things, the, the unlikeliness of, of one person matching all those prophecies, and Jesus does. And so to fulfill that prophecy, he says, go get the donkey, and I am now going to enter Jerusalem on this, the, the triumphal entry. I'm not going to ride in on a horse. See, the horse was a sign of power. That's what people were expecting. Like the followers of Jesus, they, they wanted Jesus to come in power, and especially those who were choosing not to follow. On, on, on Thursday night, we had a representative from, from Jews for Jesus here, and he talked about how for much of his life, he, the, the truth of, of the Messiah was hidden from him, and then as he started to study Scripture, as a person invested in his life, and he started to study Scripture, he started to see how Jesus matched up to all of the prophecies in the Old Testament. But they were hidden to him, and he didn't understand that for much of his life. Prophecies regarding Jesus, and, and they're expecting Jesus to come in as this mighty king, this powerful king. And the horse was a symbol of war. He's a symbol of power. But instead, Jesus comes riding on a donkey. We think, well, that's not what I would expect. Like, especially for the Jewish people, they understood spiritual uh, religious oppression. They understood what it meant to be persecuted politically. And what they were looking, because of the hard hand of the Romans, they were looking for freedom from the physical demands of their life. Like they knew they had experienced that oppression because, uh, at the hand of the Romans because of who they were. And so they were looking for their Messiah to come in power, to come riding on a horse, and to set them free from where they're at politically. They weren't expecting Jesus to come riding in on donkey on a symbol of, of peace. To free them up spiritually from, from, from the condemnation of the mistakes that they'd made that the Bible calls sin. They were looking for something stronger, something mightier. They are looking for Jesus to come riding in it says he came in on, on a donkey. It's because power is often suddenly hidden in that which appears weak. I want us to get that power is often suddenly hidden in that which appears weak. We can look around at people and it seems like, man, it, they don't have a lot of power. And then when you get to know them, you start to discover they have more power than I ever thought possible. They, they have that underdog spirit inside of them. Power is often subtly hidden in that which appears weak. And so Jesus comes not as people expected him to, not as his followers expected him to, but especially not as those people who had questions about him expected him to. 
Because Jesus had done, for 30 years, Jesus lived on the earth. And he grew up in, in relative obscurity. People, we know the, the birth of Jesus was heralded, but then not a whole lot happens until he's 30 years old. And then for the next three and a half years, after he turns 30, for the next three and a half years, he's doing all of these things. He's performing miracles, and he's raising people from the dead, and he's teaching with authority and power, and he's doing a very good job at ticking off the people who are in a position of authority. The religious leaders didn't care for it a whole lot. The political leaders definitely didn't care for it a whole lot. And so at this moment, a couple of times throughout the New Testament, throughout the Gospels, we see they're trying to trick Jesus with questions, but Jesus answers their questions uh, with absolute wisdom. And they try to trick him, and, and yet he teaches with authority, and they want to arrest him, but they've never had the occasion to arrest him. So at this moment, they're probably thinking, this is our chance. Everyone's gathered here. This is our chance to get him. And he'd done his best for three and a half years to get people real, especially those people in power, to get people really mad at him. And so they're looking to arrest him. They're looking to, to imprison him. And eventually, we know, put him to death. And for those leaders, those political leaders, those religious leaders, they see Jesus riding in on donkey. And they probably, if, if it weren't for the situation, they'd probably laugh. They're like, wait a minute, this is the guy we've heard all about. And he's coming in, like, I expect a little bit more fanfare. Like, if it was a church in the United States, I'm not saying we're necessarily wrong for doing these things, but if it was a church in the United States, we say, Jesus, if this is your triumphal entry, if this is the big deal, this is, this is the moment, let's bring out the lights and the music and the smoke, and, and we'll shoot some lasers, and, and if we do a really good job, we might have some pyrotechnics, and we're going to make this a big deal. But Jesus said it's not really about any of that. See, power is often subtly hidden in that which appears weak. So for the, for the religious leaders, for the political leaders, they're probably looking, saying, I was expecting a little bit more than this. But here comes Jesus riding on a donkey. And if it hadn't been for the situation, they might have laughed. But they knew that Jesus had amassed the following, not because of all the smoke and mirrors and lights, but he amassed the, the, the following because of the power and the authority with which he taught. Power is often subtly hidden in that which is weak. We understand that about Jesus, but we also understand that about his followers. If we pick up the story, verse 6. It says, the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. Jesus said, go get the donkey, and he go, they go, go and get the donkey. It says, they brought the donkey and the colt, put, them, put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. So the disciples go and they get the donkey, and, and they bring the donkey to him. And they don't even have a saddle for him to ride in on, so they start to take off the outer garments of, of their clothes, and they start to lay him on the donkey, so Jesus said something to sit on. And so the disciples go and, and they do that. And then it says about the rest of the crowd. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth. So the, the, the people gather, and they're starting to celebrate who Jesus is. The disciples throw their outer garments on the, on the donkey. And the people, the crowd starts to swell. And they cut off palm branches, and they lay them on the ground. And they take off their own outer garments. And they start to lay a track, not something you'd expect a mighty ruler to come in on. But they start to lay the best of what they have out in front of Jesus, to lay it down for this track as Jesus comes. And they start to shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And there's excitement and there's enthusiasm and there's passion. And it's people just like you and me. 
So we just finished up this, this whole series on the Beatitudes, where we discovered that, that Jesus was, was most intent on focusing on people who didn't seem like they had it all together. That's why Jesus could look at people who were poor and he'd say, blessed are the poor. See, up to that time, the, the poor people would say, blessed, I thought we were cursed. Man, we don't have anything. Jesus, how could you call me blessed? He said, blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who are meek. And he said, these are the people, these are the underdogs that I'm going to use to make a difference. And so those people have gathered. And they're celebrating Jesus. People who are broken, people who are discarded, people that don't have a lot. And they've gathered because they realize, man, I don't have the power to do this by myself. But I found one that does. I found one I can believe in. I believe he's the son of God and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so they start to trump this and they start to herald this message. And it says that the, the city starts to take note. The city starts to be stirred up. Man, let me tell you something. For every pastor that I know, their heart for their community is that their community would be stirred up because of Jesus. Not stirred up because of the programs that we do or, or anything that we try. Now, all of those things, we try to do those things because we want to do a good job. We want to do day of service because we want to be able to, to better our neighborhood. But ultimately, we want to do those things that our community would be stirred up about how good Jesus is. Now, realize this. It says the city is, is stirred up. That could be positive or negative. You see, there are a lot of people that Jesus came face to face with, and they rejected the message that he had. Maybe they didn't completely understand it. Maybe they were just blind to what he was teaching. But there are a whole lot of people that were stirred up in a negative sense. They didn't like it, and, and they yelled at him. They eventually arrested him. They pulled out his beard. They beat him. There were a lot of people that got stirred up in the wrong way, and there were a lot of people who embraced the message got stirred up in the right way. They believed the message. They, they embraced the, the idea that Jesus was coming to bring them a, a spiritual freedom. But as I encountered the person who Jesus really was, we have people stirred up on one side that hate what he is a part of and hate what he's doing. Other people that get really excited about what he's doing and, and they love his message. But the one thing I don't see is that people who truly encounter Jesus, the one thing I don't see ever is indifference. There's never a ho-hum attitude about life or about who Jesus is. See, the one response that's not appropriate when we come face to face with the real Jesus, not kind of our made up version of who he is, but the one response when we come face to face with really who Jesus is, the one response that's not appropriate is, is indifference. For us to wake up to life and, and to wake up to, to Easter and say, oh, it's, it's just another deal. It's just another thing that we do. That's why in Revelation it said, it's neither, God would rather us be hot or cold, not to be lukewarm. That is, this, this message, the message of the gospel is God's power to us, to those who believe. That is God's power, and that should stir us up. And that if we get stirred up as a people, we can start to change our community. See, it says about the people that the city gets stirred up. The city gets stirred up. And so I started to ask the question. I said, okay, God, that's what I want to be said about our community. Like, if we could sit here right now and, and name the different areas we're from right here in Polk County, it might be Winter Haven or, or Auburndale or Lake Alfred or Lakeland or, or somewhere in the surrounding communities, we might say, man, all I want is for my community to be stirred up about Jesus. Like, hopefully, as, if we're following Christ, there's, there's something inside of us that says, yeah, that's what I want. That's what my life is about. So I look at this text and say, okay, then, then, then let me really figure this out. If the city was stirred up because of this scenario, 
then why was, what was happening that, that made them to be stirred up? And then ultimately there were two things. Number one and most obvious, the presence of Jesus. Jesus is coming in, and, and he's coming in making his presence known. He, he's arriving to the Passover knowing what is lying before him in the next few days. He's, he's arriving, and without the presence of Jesus, the city's not going to be stirred up. We have to realize that if, if, if we want the city to be stirred up, if our surrounding community to be stirred up, if we don't have the presence of Jesus in our lives, it's not going to happen. But here's what I don't see, and we see this in other places, but I don't see here in Matthew chapter 21, when Jesus shows up here, he's not performing miracles. He's not even necessarily teaching with authority. He went and fulfilled one prophecy, gets riding on a donkey, and the city gets stirred up first because of the presence of Jesus, but then also because of the response of the people. The people had met one who gave them hope. The people had, had met one who, who gave them freedom and liberty. They say, man, my life is forever changed now because of what Jesus has done. And now I want to let everyone know. And so the people are really taking note. The city is really taking note of what's happening. First of all, we have the presence of Jesus, but they're taking note more, or they're being made aware of it because of the response of the people. And so if we're looking for that in our community right now, we want to do a bunch of good things to, to be able to better our community. But the Bible says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone that believes. If I want people to get stirred up, we want to continue to do these things to be able to show Jesus to the world. Like, we want to be able to do day of service and, and better people's homes, and that's powerful. But if we do that separate from the presence of God in our life, if we do that just to make ourselves feel good, we've missed the point. But if we do that because of the way that we represent who Jesus is, gives us an opportunity to be able to share the message of the gospel with the world around us, we start to capitalize on the very things that we're doing. And that is our power. See, we have enough uh, people who are skilled at, at construction that we can go in and build a home in our power. We cannot impact someone's lives for eternity in our power. The gospel of Jesus, that's our power. When I'm looking saying, God, I want your spirit to fill me and to use me. It's because I'm not good enough to do this alone. Like, I'm not good enough to change people's lives, and neither are you. But when we start to get fear in our life, and it starts to creep in and say, okay, then I'm just not going to do anything. We're misunderstanding it's not our power, but that the power of Christ in me, the power of God's spirit inside of me. The same spirit that next week we're going to talk about raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of us. And if we want our city to be stirred up, we need two things. We need the presence of Jesus in our lives. And we need to make people aware of that presence. This is a, a unique time to strategically be able to do that. For some reason, for everybody, it seems like even people who never go to church, Christmas rolls around, they're receptive to spiritual things. And Easter rolls around, they're receptive to spiritual things. And that's why next week a bunch of people will show up at church that typically aren't at church. It'll happen all throughout the country. And people are just open to spiritual things. Now, unfortunately, a lot of times what happens is the next week, they're back to the way they used to live. But this is our chance to capitalize. This is our chance to make a difference, let people know, man, the presence of Jesus in my life is, is so tangible, it's so real. I want to let you know about this. And so here's what we're going to do. In just a second, I'm going to pray. And as, as I pray, I'm, I'm going to begin that prayer with about 30 seconds of just absolute silence. I want you to think of two or three people right now that you know, that just need this hope, need this, this promise that Jesus has for them. Their lives need to be stirred up about who Jesus is. 
and we know it could be a positive or negative stirring that could happen but two or three people in your life that you know right now they need to be stirred up about Jesus I'll begin a prayer time with just uh, about 30 seconds of silence I want you to pray silently to yourself but pray specifically for those people pray that they would be here next week the band's going to come up and lead us in one more song as the band's leading us while the band is singing we invite you to come down we have invite cards here Take an invite card, pray for that person specifically, not just that they'd come to church on Easter, but that God would use Easter to change their lives forever. Pray for them. Take a chance to invite them out to church next Sunday. Maybe this week if you go out to lunch and, and you meet a waitress and, and, and you tip her well, first of all, don't like, do one of those things where you like, give a dollar tip and then, hey, but I give you an invite card to church, they won't come. It's bad. Uh, and it's terrible. Don't do that. Uh, but maybe if, if you tip well and you say, hey, while I'm here, I want to invite you out to church. Use this as a chance to capitalize on inviting people out to church, but not just inviting them out to church. Because I, I'm afraid we do a disservice when we invite people out for Easter and get really excited, but we'll do all the best we can for Easter. We're not praying about the idea that God can change our life right then, not just for that Sunday, but forever. So two things. As we pray, spend 30 seconds praying for those people that God lays in your heart. Then as the band plays, come up. As the band is playing, come up and grab some invite cards. Use them this week as you reach out. Let's pray.